folks, we have a wonderful treat to give to you because I am not going to be sharing the word of God to you uh, this day, but it's going to be our very own pastoral intern, Will Kim. Will has been working hard <coughs> as he is also going to school. For those of you who are not aware, Will is a second-year student at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, and he faithfully serves our ministry as our youth group pastor as well. But every now and then, he has the opportunity to come and, and, and really craft and develop his pastoral skills in the art of preaching. And so I hope that you will just encourage our brother as he comes the second time now as he delivers God's word. Let's encourage our brother as he makes his way up. Come on up, Will. Thank you. Wow. What a gracious introduction. I hope I can live up to that hype. Uh, good morning, brothers and sisters of NCF. It is so wonderful to see you all, all your beautiful faces. Uh, whether you're here in person or tuning in online, I just want to say welcome. Uh, if you're here visiting us for the first time, thanks so much for, for choosing us to spend your Sunday morning with. And we hope that uh, this Sunday is a blessing to you and that you can feel loved and welcomed during your time here at NCF. Um, like Pastor John said, my name is Will. I'm the pastor intern here, uh, mostly in charge of the youth group. And it's just my honor and privilege to be here before you to preach the word of God. And so would you pray with me before we start? God in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege that we have to gather as your people to worship and to praise and to adore you. Uh, Father, we know that we don't come because um, you need us to or um, because we uh, have much to offer you. But God, we gather because you allow us to. And, and, and as we come before you, um, may we behold our, our Savior and fall more madly in love with you. And, and may that be the response in which we go about our every day. And so God, regardless of how we are coming in today, may we, oh God, come with open eyes and open ears to hear your word. And may your word cut deep to our hearts this morning. We thank you so much, Lord. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Uh, there's, a, there's a YouTuber by the name of affectionately known as Review Brah. And what he does, his whole YouTube channel is about reviewing fast foods. And he's this young kid who wears this nice shirt and tie, and he reviews all these fast food restaurants. And in 2017, one of his videos went pretty viral. He was reviewing a meal from Popeyes that had been gone for a while after a long hiatus and was just making its return. And this was the Cheddar Biscuit Butterfly Shrimp. Now, I've never tried this before. I do love Popeyes, but I never got to try this before. But he prefaced this video saying that this was one of his favorite orders from Popeyes. It was, he was so sad that it was gone, and he was so excited it was finally back, and he gets to try it again. And after all this anticipation and buildup, he takes a, his first few bites of this shrimp. He looks straight into the camera, and with a straight face, he says this iconic line. He says, my disappointment is immeasurable and my day is ruined. And so this, this video circulated around the internet, quickly became a meme, as many people collectively quoted this phrase, this iconic line, to express their own disappointments about their everyday lives. And you know, I'm sure that we've all had our fair share of moments in life that have left us feeling pretty disappointed in that, in that way. I'm sure we've all had times where we were so excited about something, where we had such big expectations and high hopes about the way something would turn out, only for it to just fizzle out and fall majorly short of what we had hoped. And we're oftentimes feeling, left feeling disillusioned, maybe even regretful, 
and wanting. Maybe we're even left saying the same thing. My disappointment is immeasurable and my day is ruined. And I want to take this idea even one step further and ask, have you ever felt that kind of disappointment towards God? And before you get all, whoa, disappointed with God, surely not I. Of course, I believe that God is good all the time and all the time God is good. But have you ever experienced times where maybe you were really hoping that God would answer a prayer that you had lifted up? Or maybe you were really hoping that God would show up in a time you really needed him. Or maybe you were expecting God to do something miraculous, something crazy, only for then nothing to happen. I know I've definitely felt that way. And so I ask you again, has there been a time where God has disappointed you? And maybe for even some of us, we've been disappointed in God for such a long time that we've just given up and we don't really hold expectations of God anymore. My hope and prayer is that this message would encourage you today. And so if there's one thing that I want for you to take away from today, it's, it's this, that we can face life's disappointments by beholding the real Christ in the word of God. Once again, we can face life's disappointments by beholding the real Christ in the word of God. And I want to unpack this through three ways that we can behold our resurrected Savior. It's first through the Christ who disappoints, the Christ who reveals, and the Christ who redeems. Again, the Christ who disappoints, the Christ who reveals, and the Christ who redeems. Firstly, the Christ who disappoints, and you might be thinking, the Christ who disappoints, preacher, are you perhaps implying that Jesus is disappointing? Are you even allowed to say that? Well, just hear me out, because here in this story, what we find, and this story takes place on that very day of Christ's resurrection, on that Easter Sunday, we find two followers of Jesus who are walking home together to a village about seven miles away named Emmaus. And as they were walking home, they were discussing with each other all the crazy stuff that they had just witnessed from this past weekend. And it's here in verse 15 where it says that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And as Jesus so often does throughout his ministry, he asked them a bunch of questions to try to get to the heart of how they were really feeling and what they were thinking. He asked, what kind of things are you guys talking about? To which, as we read, one of the travelers named Cleopas he stopped dead in his tracks with sadness in his face, and he responded saying, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and the people, and how our priests, chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. I think this next verse, verse 21, is the real kicker. It says, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And here in that one sentence, we see their real feelings, their true heart being uncovered to Jesus. You see, actually for, to say that these, uh, for these travelers that Jesus' death was a disappointment to them, it's actually a, a huge understatement because in reality, they were crushed. They were in utter despair and they felt hopeless. Why, you may ask? Because what they carried fund, foundationally was a misconception of their Messiah. All that they had heard and seen of Jesus was that he was supposed to be their chosen one, the promised Messiah, the one who would redeem and free Israel out of the oppression that they were experiencing from the Romans. And, and they thought he would do this by military conquest and that he would reclaim the former glory and power that the Israelites formerly enjoyed. And throughout his life, 
I think Jesus, he probably showed some real potential in this area. You know, he, he did some crazy miracles. He, great, he gave great sermons. And it seemed that he both talked the talk and walked the walk. There was so much hype behind this Jesus. Surely he was the one that we were all waiting for, the ones that all the prophets would speak about. And then what happened? He let himself get arrested. He never defended himself, not once, nor did he ever fight back. And then he died. It's pretty anticlimactic, right? Pretty disappointing stuff. And these travelers, they were filled with such disappointment because though they knew Jesus and though they had followed him, seen his miracles, and heard every sermon he preached, what they did was they imposed their own expectations and their own ideas of what they wanted Jesus to be rather than who he was before them. And as a result, they missed the whole point of what Jesus was really there to do where they expected a knight in shining armor riding in on a valiant steed. What they got instead was a humble carpenter riding in on a donkey, where they expected a charismatic leader who would rally the troops and have a great army to fight. What they got instead was a man who washed the feet of his closest friends. And where they expected a a conquering hero, what they got instead was a man who died the most shameful and humiliating death. Ultimately, what they had followed and put their hope in was a Jesus of their own making rather than Jesus, the Son of God, the suffering servant, the Lamb of God. And I ask, brothers and sisters, do we find ourselves doing this in our own lives? We might think, we might not say it outwardly, but we might think it to ourselves, okay, God, here's all that I've done for you. Here's all the time that I've spent serving at church and here's, and here's how consistently I've been reading my Bible reading plan every single day. And now here's what you can do for me. And when our expectations aren't met and our demands aren't satisfied, we get bitter at God. When we find ourselves feeling this kind of disappointment or disillusionment towards God, I think we have to ask ourselves, is it really the God of heaven and earth that has let us down? Is it really the God of the Bible who has disappointed us? Or is it the God that we have created for ourselves? You know, this reminds me of when I was a kid. Uh, for Christmas, I was so excited to get this one gift. It was this Connects roller coaster building set. I don't know if they have it anymore, but it was great. It had its own motorized lift. It had a loop-de-loop and many, many pieces for you to assemble. And my brother and I, we were so excited to put it all together. And we had reached the part of this roller coaster building set where we got a little stuck. And we didn't really understand what the instructions were saying. Particularly, it was the loop-de-loop part that we didn't quite understand. And so what we ended up doing was we ended up freestyling a little bit, improvising our roller coaster assembly. We cut some pieces with scissors to try to make it fit where it didn't fit before. We used some tape to try to make it work. And you know what happened? You can probably guess. (laughs) It didn't work. Particularly that roller coaster, it never successfully made it around the loop-de-loop. It would just go up halfway, come straight back down, and it was very, very sad. Um, Because we had tried to make it work ourselves. And you know what was the end result? Was that after that, we had never touched that roller coaster set ever again because it just didn't work. You know, pretty similarly, this God that we might create for ourselves, it will leave us feeling that kind of disappointment. Because this God that we create for ourselves is essentially just our genie in a bottle, one that caters to our own preferences and is impotent everywhere else. And perhaps we may think that we and say that we worship and obey this God when ultimately is it not us that we're worshiping? Is it not ultimately us 
who are playing God and imposing our own standards of what we think we deserve and what should happen. You see, when we impose our own expectations and ideas of who God is to be, what we're actually doing is we're making God so much smaller as we diminish his power and wisdom to be that of our own level, that which we can conceive ourselves. And as a result, Jesus remains invisible to us as we see even in this story. But thankfully, even as we see in this story, God does not allow them to remain there. He does not leave us there, which leads me then to my second point, where we find the Christ who reveals. Commentators and Bible scholars, they describe Cleopas' reply to Jesus in verses 19 to 24 as the gospel according to Cleopas. And if you read through this gospel account of Cleopas, you may notice that there's actually nothing factually wrong with his story. Jesus was indeed a man of Nazareth. He was a mighty prophet. And he was sentenced over to die on a cross. He even accurately recounts what happened just that morning, that very morning, when he says that a group of women had gone to the tomb and found it empty. He even accurately says that they had seen a vision of angels who appeared to them and told them that Jesus was alive. And yet when they got to the tomb and looked inside and could not find Jesus' body, They could not and did not believe. You see, in this gospel account of Cleopas, all the pieces of the puzzle are there, but yet they're not able to put two and two together and see the big picture. Factually, their account might be true, but yet they're missing the most crucial detail of this gospel account, which is the whole reason why they're so disappointed to begin with. And this crucial, most important detail is the resurrection. Listen to the words of theologian Philip Graham Ryken. He says this, The gospel of Cleopas really was not a gospel after all, because there is no good news unless Jesus has risen from the grave. The gospel is the crucifixion plus the resurrection, which equals forgiveness for our sins and everlasting joy in the presence of God. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then everything that is wrong with this world will never be made right. It is only when we see Jesus as our crucified Savior and our risen Lord that we know how he will satisfy every genuine need and every deep longing of our souls. This is why even the Apostle Paul, he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and 19, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see, the resurrection is what makes all the difference in the gospel, and yet they were missing this most important detail. And this is why Jesus, he immediately responds to them in a rebuke. He says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And then what do we find Jesus doing? He doesn't berate them. He doesn't say, man, forget y'all and just give up on them and leave them to walk the rest of their way home by themselves. Rather, it says in verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. If you remember earlier in this passage, we read that their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus. And while it isn't explicitly clear as to why that is, I fully believe that 
Jesus, in his love and his compassion for these disciples, he intentionally kept them from recognizing him because he wanted to walk with them. I fully believe that Jesus could have just appeared before them and said, surprise, it's me, I'm back. And he could have just disappeared like he did later. But instead, what he did was he patiently walked with them. He listened to their sorrows. He saw the true state of their hearts. And even despite the misconceptions and the unbelief that they carried, what did Jesus do? He opened up the word of God to them. And he showed them how it all points to him. In their deepest heartache and in their deepest sorrows, he gave to them what he knew they needed the most, himself. And he did this by showing them the word of God. R. Kent Hughes, a theologian, he writes this, If we find ourselves hurting and despairing and do not find that scripture speaks to our condition, it is not because the Bible has failed us, but because we do not know it well enough. We cannot be profoundly comforted by that which we do not know. We need to study our Bible with an eye to our Savior because everything to do with our salvation and shalom is yes in Christ. And so what am I saying? Am I saying that if you just read your Bible enough, then poof, all your, dis- all your disappointments will be fixed, your dreams fulfilled, and your problems gone? Unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, but, but for these travelers, even as I said, they had followed Jesus and they knew him, and yet they still carried their own misconceptions of who Jesus was. But for these two travelers, it was as they walked with Jesus, as they listened to Jesus teach them the scriptures, It was the Spirit of God that was working in them, opening their minds to receive their word, to allow the word of God to pierce through their calloused hearts and to breathe new life and new hope to them. And this is what they described as this feeling of their hearts burning within them as Jesus taught them. And perhaps we may never have that same opportunity to have Jesus himself appear before us and teach us the Bible Even though I would love that, that sounds really awesome. But what we do have is the Bible. We have the whole story of God's revelation given to us. And this is what the word of God can do as the spirit of God works within us. This word of God is is breathed out by God. It is our sword of the spirit that is living and active, which we can then wield to fight against any misconceptions that we have against God and any lies that this world tries to tell us and tempt us with. So I'm not saying that reading the Bible enough will fix all your problems, but what I am saying is that we can experience this same kind of burning in our hearts as we allow the word of God to transform us, as we immerse ourselves into the word, sit under its perfection and power, and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us God in the fullness of his glory and beauty. And this is something that we can do in our own times of personal devotion to God when it's just us and God in our quiet place. Or this is something we can do when we gather together like this on a Sunday morning to hear the preaching of his word. Or this is something that we can experience together in community through just breaking bread together or even in our small group ministries like our Oikos groups. Brothers and sisters, in our disappointments and in our hurts and trials, Let's bring ourselves to the Father who cares for us and loves us. And let's let his word be our source of healing and comfort. And this now leads me to my last point, because in the word we find the Christ who redeems. 
You know, I find this, this whole story, this whole narrative of, of Jesus walking with these two disciples to Emmaus to be actually full to the brim with irony. It almost kind of plays off like a whole episode of Undercover Boss. Because the travelers, they're asking Jesus, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these past few days? Or in other words, what they're really asking is, have you been living under a rock? Where have you been? This has been the whole talk of the town. Twitter has been blowing up about this guy named Jesus who had died on the cross. But here's the ultimate irony, is that it was the travelers who were really the ones who were unaware. Because it was Jesus who was the only one who had truly known what had happened. Why? Because he was the one who went through it. He was the one who stood before the chief priests and rulers, being spat upon and mocked. He was the one who felt the, 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 the force of the nails being hammered into his hands and his feet and his side being pierced by the spear. And he was the one who hung there on the tree, suffocating, being forsaken by the Father, drinking the cup of his wrath until he gave his final breath and died. But as we all know, he did not remain dead. But on the third day, just as he said he would, he resurrected, triumphing over sin and over death, and thereby purchasing our redemption and salvation. Brothers and sisters, is this not the very reason why we had just celebrated Easter just a week ago? And this is the gospel message, our good news, and our hope for this life, is it not? You know, when Cleopas said to that stranger on the road, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. The irony is that the proof and evidence of that redemption was standing right before them in his resurrected glory. And as Jesus opened the scriptures to them, as Jesus broke the bread at the end of their long journey, it was then when the two travelers realized who it really was standing before them. Jesus, the true redeemer. And all of scripture testifies of that redemption. Because it is in Jesus, who was the word with God in the beginning and the word made flesh, it is in Jesus that we have the true and better Adam, who did not fail his test in the garden. We have the offspring of Eve, who would crush the head of the serpent. And we have the true and better Moses, who would deliver his people out of the slavery and bondage to sin. And we have the true and better David, who was a promised king to sit at the right hand of the Father. And brothers and sisters, that's just the beginning because the Bible tells us so, so much more of Christ. And beloved NCF, this should bring us a great hope because if God has fulfilled every word that he has spoken in Scripture, then there are so many promises in the Bible that we can hold on to when we go through the darkest periods of our lives. And furthermore, we can trust in him that in his promises that he has even yet to fulfill. Because this redemption is not just one that is in the here and now, but also yet to come. Because just as Christ has cleansed us of our sins and adopted us as his sons and his daughters, he has so he has also promised that he will return again and take us to his father's house, his heavenly kingdom, where he has prepared a room for us, just like Pastor John had preached on just a few weeks ago. You see, Cleopas and many other disciples, their hope for a redeemer, their hope for a Messiah, it was not a sinful one, nor was it a baseless one or an incorrect one. Rather, the issue was that it was much too worldly and too small 
for the true work of redemption that God had intended from the beginning. They were expecting Jesus to be an earthly ruler, ruling over an earthly kingdom. But what, had, what God has in mind is a new heaven and a new earth, a place where there will be no more sin, no more tears, and no more death where every tongue and tribe and every nation is gathered together before the throne of God to worship him forever. And this same goes for us. The, the unfulfilled hopes and dreams that we may experience in life and the disappointments that we feel as a result of them, many times these are not inherently wrong or sinful things to desire. But we must know that they can never satisfy us in the way that God can and promises to. And the simple fact that we have these unfulfilled desires and hopes and dreams is it shows us that we were created for far greater than what this world could ever promise to us. God may not fulfill your hopes and dreams here on this earth, but we can be assured that they are much too small and much too worldly for what God has in store for those who love him and those who intently wait for him. Rather, we can trust in him that he can redeem even these unfulfilled hopes and dreams because the God of the Bible that we find is far greater and far more powerful and far more loving and gracious to us than any God that we can formulate in our own brains. And so, brothers and sisters, I encourage you this morning that in the disappointments that you may face in this life, to bring them before our God. When things don't go our way and we may feel tempted to ask God, Where are you and why are you doing these things? It is then when we can surrender our own agendas and ideas of what reality should be to the God who loves us and the God who reveals himself. For it's then that we're able to see Christ for who he really is, our resurrected Savior, our Redeemer who lives and is returning again, and the one who has and always will be faithful. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you humbled and amazed by your son, Jesus. And Father, even though Easter was just a week ago, Lord, there's never enough words or enough times that we can sing and rejoice in the resurrected Savior and what that means for us in the salvation and in our adoption that it has purchased for us. Father, we confess that many times we hold misconceptions of who you are and we lose sight of this gospel message that you have given to us. But Father, in those times, may we come before you in repentance. May we come before you asking that you would comfort again, us again, not by making all of our problems disappear, but by showing us that you are the God in heaven, that you are the God who has from the beginning known us and loved us and has taken care of our greatest needs of our sin and and, and the issue that we face of death. And Father, if you did not spare your own son but gave him up for us, gave, gave him up for us all, how will you not also with him graciously give us all things? And so Father, we submit to you and we ask that God, as you reveal yourself to us through your word, that that you would give us strength and resolve and comfort to go about our every day in the disappointments that we may face, knowing that, God, you are coming again to rescue us and to redeem us for all eternity. We thank you so much that we can be reminded of that truth this morning, and may we respond to you in praise and thanksgiving forevermore. We thank you, Lord. We pray this all in your name. Amen.